Welcome to Shaken and Disturbed, everyone. Bada bing, bada boom. I am Darren Carp here live. And by live, I mean pre-recorded because this is not being released actually today. Uh, in Times Square with none other who just took a sip of his Diet Coke. What's your name, sir? Hello, my name is, um, I like turtles. Yes, okay, that's, I like, I like turtles. That is John Thrasher. We are actually together in the same spot um, if you were didn't listen to our NMR, you certainly this is news to you. In You're in trouble, and so we're passing the mic kind of back and forth. But we are together. Uh, if you did listen to NMR, then this kind of format's going to be very familiar to you. We want you patrons to know people who are part of our Patreon. That unfortunately we're not doing any video this week. It's kind of just too difficult the way that we're kind of routing this whole thing. However, we are going to post a fun video of John and I together on Patreon. So make sure you check that out, right, John? Absolutely. And by the way, um, we're in a hand, we're using a handheld mic. So we're literally like interviewing each other. If you listen, go listen to NMR right now before. So you get an understanding of the format today and then come back to this episode. And it's going to make so much sense. Yeah, you'll see the video of us kind of doing that on Patreon. And obviously, if you haven't yet, please join us on Patreon. You know, we welcome all of the listeners everywhere, but uh, always love a little extra fun on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed. It's also in our show notes. It sure is. Darren, should we get right into today's episode while we glare, or not glare, but um, glance into each other's eyes? Yes, let's glance. And uh, interesting here, this case starts off in the my birth year, okay? Oh my God, and just two months before you were born, I believe. Can you believe it? Um, two months and 11 days. Okay. On March 13th, 1988, 27-year-old Lisa Guy and her husband, 33-year-old Joel Guy, welcome their new baby son, Joel Michael, into the world. Joel has always been like a tough name for me to say, and I don't know why. Joel. Is it like uh, your 199 day? Yes. It's like I want to say Joel. We're the, we're the bosses of this of this show, so we'll say what we want to say. Yeah, the narrative is ours, people. Well, the family lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, where Joel worked as an engineering designer in the pipeline industry, which is pretty cool, which allowed Lisa the ability to stay home and be a full-time mom to Joel Michael and his sister, Michelle. A lot of L's in this family, right? Lisa, Joel, Joel, Michael, Michelle, just a lot of that. Do you need to say JM maybe? Is that easier for you or do we're going to go forward with Joel? Uh, we're going to go forward. With, we're just going to go into this world. Um, but Joel Michael, we might shorten to JM eventually. But so Joel Michael, JM, was a bit of an awkward kid who was notably shy and seemed to prefer staying in his room alone over spending time with his classmates. I mean, same. Well, I mean, I also I do kind of think that when you're a kid... Those types of behaviors aren't necessarily indicative of anything larger than that, you know? Sometimes sometimes they can be. But when he graduated from high school in my year, 2006, JM spent one semester at George Washington University in D.C., great school, before dropping out and enro- enrolling in Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, which uh, reported plans to study, with reported plans to study medicine, specifically cosmetic surgery. So homie wants to make some cash. And let's face it, with you and I both working in the Bravo world, we definitely know a lot of people who have been, let's say, patients of such things. Uh, many, and, and no shade to them. In 2007, Joel Sr. and Lisa purchased a new home on Golden View Lane in Knoxville. Joel Michael, JM, remained in college until 2015 until he ultimately dropped out without completing enough coursework to earn a degree. You know, starting college, kind of graduating in 2006 to kind of remaining in college to 2015. Sometimes it does take a little while for a lot of people. It's not necessarily a judgment call, but that is kind of a while to keep at it, I would say. 
Yeah, and I would say, you know, myself included, because I was taking, um, basically, I got a really good university job. And so in order to keep that job, I had to have classes. So like for the last couple years of my, well, just two or three years, actually, I would just take like basket weaving 101 just to keep enrolled. And then it looked like I was there for a long time. But it's sometimes worth it, you know, economically to have a good job and keep it. I think it's more often than non economically smart, uh, have a job and keep it. But After leaving school, J.M. moved into an apartment in Baton Rouge, about nine hours' drive from his parents in Knoxville. That provides a little space, I guess. Now, although he lived far away, J.M. still considered his parents' house to be his home. He was always welcome to visit whenever he wanted and at his own key and garage door opener. That's big. You got the garage door opener, girl. Well, I was just talking to a friend. Did, was it like the thing if you were in middle or high school, if you had your own phone number in your own house? Like some friends of mine, their parents would set them up with their own landline phone number so that like they weren't tying up the main house line. And you were like Richie Rich if you were able to have your own phone number. I clearly grew up in a doldrums because I didn't even know you could do that. I mean, it uh, makes sense that you could, but no, I didn't have that. The cool thing when I was a kid was like a cordless phone. If you had that in your room, I had like a blue see-through phone cordless. I was going to say that. I was just going to say those cordless like VTech phones that you could see through. Those were, those were cool. Those were cool. Okay. So in fact, uh, JM's childhood room was still largely untouched for when he visited, unlike my room at home, which... My mom has converted to her den as she should. Uh, but there's still some remnants. So he visited home several times a year, especially for Thanksgiving. And again, it's largely untouched. It almost, to me, it almost seems like a shrine to him as his child. Up until this point, JM's parents had been financing their son's education and living expenses. But all of that was about to change. Around this time, Joel Sr. was laid off from his job. And although Lisa was now earning income... Uh, working in human resources in HR, it wasn't enough to keep afloat while still paying for all of their son's living expenses. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, when you when you have a kid that's in college, you, you want to support them, and especially because, like, Darren, you and I were in school at this time, so, like, we know the landscape of the economy at the time, which was not great, to be honest. You know, it's not easy to support somebody, especially in college, because there are sort of different finances and expenditures that come with college that are very different than when you're a kid. So anyway, um, just to give a little more background there. So in 2016, Lisa was now 55 and Joel Sr. was 61. The couple was thinking about retirement and realized they needed to get their finances in order if they wanted that to be an option that's available to them, which I will say even in my 30s, I'm thinking about like, do I have like, what's my retirement money look like? I'm sure you probably think that too. I think it's important actually for them to teach like balancing your checkbook, paying your credit card bills, like how to kind of earn how your money can kind of earn money for you when you're just sitting there. Like that would actually be the biggest school class that you need to choose. So it's, it's never too young to kind of think about that stuff. We never were taught anything about that when I was in elementary, middle, high school. And it's so weird to think that that's not something that like a personal finance class. Like what? Anyway, they decided to put their house up for sale, which is kind of sad, so that they could downsize to a home for two in Surgeonsville, Tennessee, about an hour and a half east of Knoxville, where some of Joel Sr.'s family lived. Now, they also let Joel Michael... um, uh, uh, know that. Let Joe Michael, yeah, know that it was time for him. That's right. 
Thank you, Darren. Darren's helping me along here, you guys. Um, they also let Joe Michael know that it was time for him to stand on his own two feet and that they would no longer be able to support him. After Christmas, he would need to start paying on his for his own completely. Which is a hard, you know, especially if you're still in school, that's that's kind of a tall order, but it is something that you have to start just realizing as part of adulthood. Yeah, I think it's probably good growing pains, but that's got to be kind of, I'm imagining, scary for him to think about. Oh, absolutely. So in November of 2016, Joel Sr. and Lisa decided to have one last Thanksgiving in their home before they moved to Surgeonsville, which they planned to do just two weeks after the holiday. After all, it was Joel Michael's favorite holiday to spend with his family. He had come back, as you know. On November 24th, Thanksgiving Day, Joel Michael, as well as his sister Michelle, her boyfriend, and their two children gathered at their parents' home to eat dinner and spend time together as a family. So the next day, Black Friday, if you will, on November 25th, Joel Michael drove with his parents to help them drop their boat off at their new house. So, okay, they've got a boat. They've got some assets they could potentially leverage here as they become some, you know, the real realities of financial hardship here. But when he returned to the family home, Joel Michael um, parked his car inside the garage. So on November 28th, the Monday following Thanksgiving, Lisa didn't go to work. And this was very unlike her, so much so that her co-workers decided to call the police to request a welfare check when they were unable to get in touch with her themselves. I mean, we've heard this quite a few times on the show. I know that I remember there was one person, Darren, that you and I worked with who also didn't show up to work one day. I'll tell you who after the show. And a couple hours go by and you do start to think, especially just working in true crime and having told these stories before, you do start to think like, should we start being worried? But eventually this person did show up. Has that ever happened to you? I was going to say it happened to me once with Andy was like calling our friend Noah being like, where is Darren? Where is Darren? Like, oh my God. And he's like, and I wasn't near my phone. And I was like, Andy, I'm just in a, like a class, like a meeting right now. But it was freaky because you expect routines, you know, and when they don't show up, that's actually how we catch people a lot sooner. Good to know who loves you, and it sounds like Andy loves you, so that's good. Um, but like I said, uh, they they ended up calling the police. A police officer went to the house to make sure that everything was okay. When he saw lights on inside, two cars parked in the driveway, no signs of trouble, he left without even speaking to anyone. Well, when they didn't hear anything, another one of Lisa's co-workers called the police again, this time to report Lisa missing. The same police officer returned to the home, this time bringing a detective with him. I also wonder, too, just to pause for a quick second, like, what is, I, I mean, I'm sure there's protocol for this and it's probably very straightforward, but like, if you show up and you think that something may have happened, can a police officer just enter the house without a warrant and just... For, for like probable cause that somebody may be like dead inside? I think they have to have probable cause. And obviously you need to prove that in court, although cops can, you know, with qualified immunity, I guess can prove anything. But yeah, I believe that they can, whether or not that can be used in a case held against that person without a warrant that I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. If you're a police officer, you have any details about that, let us know on Facebook or Patreon. I'm curious. But anyway, this time, the two investigators tried to see if they could speak to anyone inside the home. When nobody answered the door, they searched outside and noticed a very distinct smell of bodies. Decomposing in the heat, combined with what they later described as, quote, a weird smell, a chemical cooking, end quote. Definitely don't like the sound of that. That's very, it reminds me a lot of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and just like the smells that were emanating from his room. Um, so let's see how this is going. 
Based on the strong smells of decomposition and chemicals, the officers now believe that there may be a threat to human life inside the home and decided to enter the house without first obtaining a search warrant. The officers went inside, called for backup, and entered the house through the garage, which was unlocked. Although the interior of the house was extremely hot and there seemed to be an unusual number of chemical containers on the floor. In fact, the chemical odor was so strong inside the home that the officers later recalled being able to feel a tingling on their skin due to the chemical particles in the air. That has to be like a lot of chemicals in the air. I mean, you have to like be in a sulfur pool in order to feel it. In the kitchen, they noticed that the stove was on and a number of perishable grocery items were strewn across the floor, including bacon, sausage, lunch meat, ice cream, now completely melted. All things that are like maybe the worst outside of ice cream to be melted, like rotting. Yeah, and yeah, that's true. That's a good point. But like, Imagine a pr- like entering a house where you think there might be foul play and the things you see and smell are bacon, sausage, and lunch meat. That just really grosses me out. I mean, I love the smell of bacon, but not not in, not in this way. And what's worse is that there appear to be feces on the living room floor. Okay, so mix that in. On the dining room table, several long guns were laid out. The officers were just confused. Nothing they they were seeing kind of made sense. And as they continued upstairs, they immediately realized the second floor was much hotter than the ground floor. The upstairs thermostat was set to 95 degrees. Are you in Boca Raton with my grandparents? But they also heard a dog barking and whimpering from behind a closed door. Oh, The officers saw blood smeared on the wall at the top of the stairwell, reddish brown stains all over the floor, a bucket and piles of clothing and sharp instruments on the floor. This is crazy, this scene. They also saw what they realized were, quote unquote, hands not connected to a body laying in the debris that littered the floor. The officers first searched the master bedroom upstairs where they found a roll of plastic. What is happening? You know, and it makes me wonder at this point, if you're the officers, like, do you just assume like there's going to be a dead body or you just, you know? I, I mean, almost you hope because if there isn't, then you're like, what the fuck? You know, like, I guess in a way it could, you know, maybe a dead body, at least having something there might piece clues to the scene. But other than that, like, Jesus. Yeah, I think once you see the hands, you're like, okay, I know what we're getting into here. Well, as as Darren just said, they found some uh, a roll of plastic, but in the bathroom, they found two Rubbermaid bins containing liquefied body parts submerged in liquid chemicals. The floor was covered with assorted knives, tools, and rubber gloves. There was later found to be a portable heater in the bathroom. I'm not understanding the heater part of this. Are you connecting anything yet? The only, I mean, I don't know why. There obviously is something to having the heater. I mean, obviously people have portable heaters all the time when they don't have the ability to warm down a room. Um, And they can be pretty dangerous. Like you could never have those um, heaters at our desks, like at work or whatever, when it got chilly. They never, because they were like fire hazards. Um, I don't know the connection yet, though. All right, we'll have to keep going here. But like I said, a portable heater was found in the bathroom. In the laundry room, the officers found the family dog who had been barking and whimpering but was completely unharmed. And hopefully someone got him some doggy therapy because he was super in need of it after all of this stuff. By the way, the, Megan specifically was very un, unhappy with this detail. So shout out to Megan. Um, Inside the laundry room, officers also found, quote, a set of what appeared to be severed male human hands, end quote, wrapped in a white towel. So whoever's doing all this dirty work. a good Halloween episode. Sorry, but this is like freaky and there's no other body parts. It's just hands separated from bodies. 
It's very disturbing. Later on during their sweep of the house, the officers did a more thorough search of the kitchen. They discovered Lisa's severed head inside a large stock pot on the stove. So somebody's really t- uh, going to town on this family. A full forensic team processed the house, removing around 15 gallons of gasoline, three containers of bleach, a bottle of lye, several containers of sewer line cleaner, and a bottle of muriatic acid, which is often used in home maintenance to remove mineral deposits from stone, but is also able to liquefy most metals, which I didn't even know. This case is reminding me of the girl we did a couple weeks ago, and forgive me, I'm blinking on her name, who got, like, I would say horribly treated by her parents and, like, fused with the couch. Remember that? And just, like, the smell and what it looked like and all that stuff. This is very similar to just the chaos. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. They also found boxes of disposable gloves, 3M masks, safety goggles, trash bags, discarded clothing, work lights, and a plethora of knives and other assorted tools strewn throughout the house. So it's like, this wasn't a defensive action. This wasn't like, this was very, very premeditated. It's very clear. I mean, to buy... To buy all that stuff? Sorry, he hit me in the face with the mic. To buy all that stuff? Like, yeah, it's premeditated. Yeah, was that worth getting punched in the face for? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, great. Um, But interestingly, the team also found a significant amount of first aid equipment left out around the home, including rubbing alcohol, antibiotic ointment, and antibacterial pain-relieving spray. Now, Darren, we, we, we rarely do this, but Megan herself, who did the research for today's show, also included some notes here. I feel like we have to read. Um, excuse me, I had to uh, clear my throat. Megan says, quote, I cannot stress enough how chaotic this house was. The case brief has many pages devoted to explaining exactly what items were found in each room. But long story short, all the chemicals, work gear, knives, tools, plastic sheeting, stained clothing, and first aid stuff was everywhere. Strewn around on the floor in every single room of the upstairs except for the laundry room where the dog was. So Megan herself, you know if Megan's giving us notes... It's not a good situation. Yeah, keep in mind she does taxidermy. So for her to say this is chaotic is big. Very good point. I almost punched Darren again with the microphone. Darren is, by the way, I just want to give a little setup about what's going on here. Darren is doing what appeared to be windmills, jumping jacks. We're in the middle of an episode. Windmills, jumping jacks, stretches, backflips. Darren, do you care to like let people know why you're doing this? Nope. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm. my arm started hurting, and so I'm just stretching it and making sure it doesn't fall asleep on us. Yeah, Darren's hearing all the body parts. She's like, oh, yeah, I have body parts. I should probably stretch those out. Yeah, I've got hands connected yeah. to bodies. Yeah. Well, officers took a number of personal items from inside the house, including purses, wallets, and backpacks, in the hopes of using their contents to learn more about what happened. The contents of the maroon-colored backpack they recovered from the second floor turned out to be extremely illuminating. In fact, inside the backpack was a calculator, an instruction manual for a residential gas water heater that had been printed on November 26th, a notebook, and several books with the name Joel Guy written on their inside front covers. The notebook's first few pages contained a college class syllabus and some math homework. However, several pages in, there was a bullet point list. And Darren, I want you to read through what some of these bullet points were because they're very disturbing. Yeah, I feel like... Like, I I don't want anyone to see my text messages. Like, uh, finding my, like, 
notebooks of probably what were said, you know, is like, it's like a diary. I feel like for a lot of people, it's very, very personal. So another page of the notebook contained a list of all of Joel and Lisa's assets, including the $500,000 life insurance policy, whose name each asset was in and who would need to die in order for JM to obtain them, depending on if each asset was in Joel or Lisa's name or if they were joint property. Like, I don't even know this about my parents. Okay, so here's what the list is of everything, okay? Get killing, not killing knives, okay? Get killing knives, quiet, multiple. Get carving knives to make small pieces. Get sledgehammer to crush bones. Bring blender and food grinder to grind meat. Get bleach to denature proteins. This is like heated research. Get plastic bin for denaturation process. Doesn't matter where they're killed. Just get rid of bloody spots to prevent evidence of time of death. Not the mattress or couches. He must have like, what's the Google search history here? Get rid of bodies inside house. There and my DNA are already there. Uh, then this one, which is crossed out, open up doggy door to provide entryway, which I guess he didn't do because that dog was definitely up there. Uh, flush chunks down toilet. I mean, you know, there's a handful of words in the English language. Chunk. That I feel like you and I really hate. And I would say that chunk on this podcast is definitely one of them. Chunk. But the, the, the best and worst part is flush chunks down toilet. Not garbage disposal. Get plastic chunk. Get plastic sheeting for disposal process. Now, this is also crossed out. It says, get hollow point bullets just in case. And it says, we'll be seen buying bullets. Just use computer room gun. Check to make sure there are bullets. That's a last resort. He's really thinking about this. He's not alive to claim our half of the insurance money. All mine. which So that's $500,000. Flood the house. Turn up the heater as high as it goes because it speeds decomposition. Bleach reacts with luminol just like blood. So douse area with bleach. Bring sprayer. Bring lye. Trash compactor? Question mark. This, this is still going, people. Body gives time of death. So there's an alibi there. Don't have to get rid of body if there is no forensic evidence on the body. His fingerprints and DNA... In all caps, I'm assuming that's why the hands are kind of separated. Minimize things I touch throughout visit. Wear gloves and socks to prevent fingerprints and footprints. Drop something down the garbage disposal to break it. Get him on ground fixing it. Kill him with a knife. So he's trying to distract his father. That's crazy. Clean up mess from him before she gets home. Kill her with a knife. And it did say kill dog after, but that was crossed out. I wonder what. The dog must have been some sort of, like, he didn't harm him. So, like, in his life, he hasn't, like, he's not bringing bitterness. It says, leave alive instead. Take dog with you. Which Megan notes was this guy's one redeeming quality, and I would say mine too. Place her in the shower, turn on hot water, and point at her to get rid of forensics. Remove her clothes and take them with me for disposal. Place him in plastic bin and use it to get him into the upstairs bedroom. The fact that he's writing all this stuff out, and I, like, I sort of get it, like writing out a plan of attack, because obviously this is a huge plan. But the fact that he's writing it, and I just imagine, I don't know what emotion or lack thereof he's going through, but this is insane. Cut off his arm and plant his flesh under her fingernails. That way it seems like self-defense. Place her hand with his DNA so that his DNA is not washed away by shower. Use sodium hydroxide down the toilet. Wash out bin with handheld shower head and then direct handheld into toilet. To, like, this is specific instructions. Then direct handheld into toilet to flush everything out of the pipes and into the public waterway. 
Douse killing rooms, kitchen with bleach. Place hair curler with flammable paper and flammable containers of gasoline in four locations. His killing room, her killing room, his bathroom, her bathroom. Wipe down areas, no killing rooms, and bathrooms. Turn heaters up to 90 degrees to melt fingerprints and dry everything. Set um, phone timer to send a text message late Sunday to prove I was in BR and she was alive. Leave through front door and wipe down doorknobs. Timer for flammable set for Friday at 10 a.m. so they can't report it. It's just so weird because I don't know that I've heard of all the shows we've ever done, all the true crime I've ever covered in my own career. I've never heard someone detail the plan so so intricately like this like you might you might see a note like two or three things but like how many was that that was almost like 30 or 40 details like that's pretty significant so very very premeditated here I was gonna say I mean just for him to even know how to do this I mean the research on it and just to have every little detail obviously we know it's him but leave every kind of detail down to this without any sort of remorse is Outside of the dog, which makes me think a little bit like, okay, he is a human, you know, like he is capable of this because we do see this thought process in the editing going on. But this is wild. And not to be really disgusting, but like, I almost wonder if he didn't think about like how the dog might, you know, I don't want to even say it actually, you know, like if there's dead body parts in a, in a house and then there's a dog, like what could potentially happen? I'll just leave it at that for now. Cause we are, we are disturbed and shaken on this show, but maybe not to that degree. Anyway, continuing on here, detectives learned from family friends that Joel Michael did indeed stay with his parents over Thanksgiving weekend and issued a call for the other officers to quote, be on the lookout for him and his vehicle. Police then tracked Joe Michael's car. It had been captured on cameras driving through, through Mississippi on November 29th, Joel Michael stopped at a sporting goods store and attempted to purchase a gun. Officers were alerted shortly after he tried to make the purchase. Joel Michael was arrested, found eventually, and arrested in Baton Rouge on Tuesday, November 29th, just one day after Lisa was first reported missing and the house was searched. The arresting officer noticed a number of bruises, abrasions, and burn-type injuries all over Joe Michael's arms. His hands appeared to be sliced apart. In fact, Joel Michael had sought help from his college's health center for the cuts on his hands when he returned home from Knoxville. He had informed the healthcare workers that he'd fallen down a flight of stairs carrying breakables. He claimed he'd left his parents' house immediately after the fall because he didn't have health insurance, but his school health, his school's health center would treat him for free. He stated, quote, I was worried about losing my left thumb, so I needed medical treatment, end quote. Inside the car, police recovered two gasoline cans, a meat grinder, and various loose pills. After his arrest, investigators were able to locate receipts and surveillance footage from several different Walmarts and hardware stores where Joel Michael made purchases for chemicals, knives, tools, and the same sorts of assorted work gear found inside of the home. Everything that was strewn across everywhere, he basically bought it all. It appeared he had been making purchases to prepare for the murders throughout the whole month of November, starting on the 7th. And Joel Michael was, of course, as you can expect, charged with premeditated first-degree murder and abuse of a corpse. So, you know, they found him. They realized he was the main culprit. And to know that he was doing all of this for, you know, life insurance, essentially, is just really tragic. 
Yeah, and $500,000, I mean, it's just wild. At trial, the prosecution detailed for the jury the awful fate that had befallen Joel Sr. and Lisa. I mean, even reading it here, it's... The couple was killed sometime between Friday and Saturday. Joel Sr. had suffered from 42 separate sharp force injuries that caused severe damage to his lungs, kidneys, and liver. His hands were cut off at the wrists. His arms were removed at the shoulders. His legs severed at the hips. And his feet removed at the ankles. This is hard to do. Lisa was stabbed 31 times, then her arms were removed at the shoulders, and her legs severed at the knees. Both were then placed in the large Rubbermaid tubs, which contained a toxic mixture of bleach, hydrogen peroxide, drain cleaner, sewer line cleaner, and assorted other chemicals. Joel Michael's trial only lasted four days, but involved over 700 individual pieces of evidence, which... For a murder trial, 700 pieces of evidence the last four days seems pretty cut and dry to me. On October 2nd, 2020, Joel Michael was found guilty in all charges and was given two life sentences in prison. The judge remarked that Joel Michael, quote, thinks he's smarter than he really is, end quote, and went on to state that he committed, quote, an act of pure evil in a very unintelligent way, end quote. I second that. He also noted that Joel Michael appeared to show no remorse for his actions during trial and that he believes the defendant to have a depraved mind that will not change over time. Yeah, and I, just really quickly before we wrap up the last parts of the show is that, you know, he was in college. He seemed like an all-American type of person, you know, like off to college. You know, by the way, George, uh, uh, was it George Washington University he went to and like Baton Rouge? Those are like very accredited colleges. Darren's pulling up a photo of him. He looks very interesting to say the least. But anyway, in 2022, just last year, Joel Michael's defense team began the appeals process, the main argument for which focuses on the fact that Joel Michael was either a part-time resident or overnight guest in his parents' home. The law states that both overnight guests and part-time residents are entitled to reasonable expectations of privacy from police search, which is what I brought up at the beginning of the show. Excuse me. As such, the police violated his constitutional right to privacy by entering the home before obtaining a search warrant. Therefore, everything found inside should therefore, are you ready for this, be inadmissible as evidence as it was illegally obtained. We talked about. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I was talking about. And I hadn't even gotten to this research yet. So this is interesting. The defense team is using the fact that Joel Michael had free reign of the home, including his own key and garage door opener, as evidence that he was at least a part time resident. Police are only legally able to enter the home uh, without a search warrant in an event when they believe human life may be of imminent danger. Causes for concern can include hearing screams or seeing a trail of blood. So there you go. That answers my question from earlier in the episode. But in May of 2023, just a few months ago, Joe Michael's appeal was denied by the Tennessee court who ruled that his status of invited overnight guest in his parents' home disent excuse me, disintegrated once he attacked and killed them. Right. Because I think once you murder somebody. I feel like you're not just like the the boy who's visiting from college anymore. I, yeah, I think that changes a little. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. The court also stated that, quote, even if the defendant had standing to challenge the search, we agree that the officer's entrance into the home was supported by ex- exigent circumstances, end quote. And, of course, he was sentenced, and with his current sentence, Joel Michael, now 35, will not be eligible for release from prison for, are you ready for this, 127 more years. So, 
really tragic case once again. I really hate to hear about the dismemberment. You hate to hear any kind of murder, but when you you do stuff like that to the body, especially like I just find it so repugnant and disgusting. Any last thoughts, Darren, on this on this week's case? Thanks, John. Um, yeah, I just think this is repugnant is probably the best word for it, and I think. I mean, I I would go out on a limb to say this kid probably has a couple mental things going on there um, to just kind of go from this and to show no remorse. I mean, that usually is a sign of some sort of psychopath, serial killer, something like that. So it's just really sad. I mean, could you imagine being parents and your kid kills you? Like, I just can't really imagine that. This is absolutely tragic. But uh, yeah, glad he's behind bars and he was stupid enough to write everything fucking down. I know. I've never, again, I've never heard of a case like that. And just to add one last thing here. Yeah, it's one thing if you kill your parents, but to do it for money, you know. But I think that also could be, you know, a reflection of where they were financially or in, even in our country, you know. Like when your back's pressed up against the wall, like how are you, how are you going to survive? If your only option is you know that there's a $500,000 life insurance policy and you have no problem killing your parents, then yeah, this stuff is going to unfold the way it did. And it's just very tragic all around. Darren, let's get into some listeners' shout outs. And by the way, let us know what you think about this week's episode at jthrasher at Carpe Darren. Follow us, you guys. We usually follow you guys back. at. You can uh, hit us up in a Facebook group or on Patreon where we are responding to everybody. Um, Darren, Hannah in our Facebook group said, quote, saw these and immediately thought of Darren and posted a picture of Taco Bell themed sand Sandals, which looked actually very comfy. Do you have any reaction to said sandals? Yes, I love them. And I thought if they were Crocs, then John was definitely going to get them for me for Christmas. So I dodged a bullet there, thank God. But uh, who doesn't like like cheesy gorditas on my feetos? So that's pretty good. And congrats to Annette and her new fur baby she shared in the Facebook group. Looks like she and her son named the new Kitty Cruz. So welcome to the fan. Cruise, I love you already, Cruise. Any new fur baby is a friend of mine. Um, so yeah. Yes. Any of your new um, pets, you guys should post in our Facebook group because they're part of the show as well. Um, you can join us over on Patreon, by the way, if you haven't yet. You can join today for as little as five bucks a month. And you can even get it cheaper if you sign up annually. We really, really appreciate all of your support on Patreon. It really helps us get together. Even on days like today, I had to run out and buy a new microphone and some other little things to make today happen. And we think that you guys are going to really love you know, some of the stuff we have planned when we're together. So thank you so much for your support patreon is the best way to do it so thank you so much darren it's been so fun handing the microphone back and forth to each other here in my hotel room in new york city um any last thoughts as we wrap up here in my room i'm just so excited to see you again the pandemic still has affected us i feel like because we haven't been able to live together since then and uh, it's just so great to see you and i love you i love you too and you still don't mind if i come stay with you for weeks and weeks and months and months at a time Bye. <laughs> See you guys next time. <laughs> this is my opportunity to say, finally, in front of John Thrasher's face, in his presence, in his hotel room, check your brake pads without pants, and remember, you don't need a penis. And let's say this this last part together, my sign-off, which is... Check your freshies. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.